This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Michelle Crandall, Fremont, California, August 2006. Captain Blood by Raphael Sabatini. Chapter 26. Monsieur de Rivarol. Captain Blood was still in that disgruntled mood when he sailed from Tortuga, and still in that mood when he came to his moorings in the bay of Petit Coivre. In that same mood he greeted Monsieur le Baron de Rivarol, when this nobleman, with his fleet of five men of war, at last dropped anchor alongside the buccaneer ships, in the middle of February. The Frenchman had been six weeks on the voyage, he announced, delayed by unfavorable weather. Summoned to wait on him, Captain Blood repaired to the castle of Pédicoivre, where the interview was to take place. The Baron, a tall, hawk-faced man of forty, very cold and distant of manner, measured Captain Blood with an eye of obvious disapproval. Of Hagthorpe, Yberval, and Wolverstone, who stood ranged behind their captain, he took no heed whatever. Monsieur de Cousset offered Captain Blood a chair. "'A moment, Monsieur de Cousset. I do not think Monsieur le Baron has observed that I am not alone. Let me present to you, sir, my companions, Captain Hagthorpe of the Elizabeth, Captain Wolverstone of the Atropos, and Captain Iberville of the La Chassie. The Baron stared hard and haughtily at Captain Blood, then very distantly and barely perceptibly inclined his head to each of the other three. His manner implied plainly that he despised them, and that he desired them at once to understand it. It had a curious effect upon Captain Blood. It awoke the devil in him, and it awoke at the same time his self-respect, which of late had been slumbering. A sudden shame of his disordered, ill-kempt appearance made him perhaps the more defiant. There was almost a significance in the way he hitched his sword-belt round, so that the wrought hilt of his very serviceable rapier was brought into fuller view. He waved his captains to the chairs that stood about. "'Draw up to the table, lads. We are keeping the baron waiting.' They obeyed him, Wolverstone with a grin that was full of understanding. Haughtier grew the stare of Monsieur de Rivarol. To sit at table with these bandits placed him upon what he accounted a dishonouring equality. It had been his notion that, with the possible exception of Captain Blood, they should take his instructions standing, as became men of their quality in the presence of a man of his. He did the only thing remaining to mark a distinction between himself and them. He put on his hat. "'You're very wise now,' said Blood amiably. "'I feel the draught myself.' And he covered himself with his plumed castor. Monsieur de Rivarol changed colour. He quivered visibly with anger, and was a moment controlling himself before venturing to speak. Monsieur de Cousset was obviously very ill at ease. "'Sir,' said the baron frostily, you compel me to remind you that the rank you hold is that of Capitaine de Vasseau, and that you are in the presence of the General of the Armies of France by sea and land in America. 
"'You compel me to remind you further "'that there is a deference due from your rank to mine.' "'I am happy to assure you,' said Captain Blood, "'that the reminder is unnecessary. "'I am by way of accounting myself a gentleman, "'little though I may look like one at present, "'and I should not account myself "'that I were capable of anything but deference "'to those whom nature or fortune may have placed above me, "'or to those who, being placed beneath me in rank, "'may labour under a disability to resent my lack of it.' "'It was a neatly intangible rebuke. Monsieur de Rivarol bit his lip. Captain Blood swept on without giving him time to reply. Thus much being clear, shall we come to business? Monsieur de Rivarol's hard eyes considered him a moment. Perhaps it will be best, said he. He took up a paper. I have here a copy of the articles into which you entered with Monsieur de Cousset. Before going further, I have to observe that Monsieur de Cousset has exceeded his instructions in admitting you to one-fifth of the prizes taken. His authority did not warrant his going beyond one-tenth. That is a matter between yourself and Monsieur de Cousset, my general. Oh, no, it is a matter between myself and you. Your pardon, my general, the articles are signed. So far as we are concerned, the matter is closed. Also, out of regard for Monsieur de Cousset, we should not desire to be witnesses of the rebukes you may consider that he deserves. What have I to say to Monsieur de Cousset is no concern of yours. That is what I am telling you, my general. But, nom de Dieu, it is your concern, I suppose, that we cannot award you more than one-tenth share. Monsieur de Rivarol smote the table in exasperation. The pirate was too infernally skilful a fencer. You are quite certain of that, Monsieur le Baron, that you cannot? I am quite certain that I will not. Captain Blood shrugged and looked down his nose. In that case, said he, it but remains for me to present my little account for our disbursement, and to fix the sum at which we should be compensated for our loss of time and derangement in coming hither. That settled, we can part friends, Monsieur le Baron. No harm has been done. What the devil do you mean? The Baron was on his feet, leaning forward across the table. Is it possible that I am obscure? My French, perhaps, is not of the purest, but— Oh, your French is fluent enough— too fluent at moments, if I may permit myself the observation. Now, you look here, Monsieur de Filiboussier. I am not a man with whom it is safe to play the fool, as you may very soon discover. You have accepted service of the King of France, you and your men. You hold the rank and draw the pay of a Capitaine de Vassaux, and these, your officers, hold the rank of lieutenants. These ranks carry obligations which you would do well to study, and penalties for failing to discharge them which you might study at the same time. They are something severe. The first obligation of an officer is obedience. I commend it to your attention. You are not to conceive yourselves, as you appear to be doing, my allies in the enterprises I have in view, but my subordinates. In me you behold a commander to lead you, not a companion or an equal. You understand me, I hope. Oh, be sure that I understand. Captain Blood laughed. He was recovering his normal self amazingly under the inspiring stimulus of conflict. 
The only thing that marred his enjoyment was the reflection that he had not shaved. I forget nothing, I assure you, my general. I do not forget, for instance, as you appear to be doing, that the articles we signed are the condition of our service, and the articles provide that we receive one-fifth share. Refuse us that, and you cancel the articles. Cancel the articles, and you cancel our services with them. From that moment we cease to have the honour to hold rank in the navies of the King of France. There was a murmur of approval from his three captains. Rivarol glanced at them, checkmated. In effect, Monsieur de Cousset was beginning timidly. In effect, Monsieur, this is your doing, the Baron flashed on him, glad to have some one upon whom he could fasten the sharp fangs of his irritation. You should be broke for it. You bring the King's service into disrepute. You force me, His Majesty's representative, into an impossible position. "'Is it impossible to award us one-fifth share?' quoth Captain Blood sulkily. "'In that case, there is no need for beat or for injuries to Monsieur de Cousset. Monsieur de Cousset knows that we would not have come for less. We depart again upon your assurance that you cannot award us more. And things are as they would have been if Monsieur de Cousset had adhered rigidly to his instructions. I have proved, I hope, to your satisfaction, Monsieur le Baron, that if you repudiate the articles, you can neither claim our services, nor hinder our departure, not in honour. Not in honour, sir? To the devil with your insolence! Do you imply that any course that were not in honour would be possible to me? I do not imply it, because it would not be possible, said Captain Blood. We should see to that. It is, my general, for you to say whether the articles are repudiated." The baron sat down. "'I will consider the matter,' he said sullenly. "'You shall be advised of my resolve.' Captain Blood rose. His officers rose with him. Captain Blood bowed. "'Monsieur le baron,' said he. Then he and his buccaneers removed themselves from the august and irate present of the general of the king's armies by land and sea in America." You conceive that there followed for Monsieur de Cousset an extremely bad quarter of an hour. Monsieur de Cousset, in fact, deserves your sympathy. His self-sufficiency was blown from him by the haughty Monsieur de Rivarol, as down from a thistle by the winds of autumn. The general of the king's armies abused him, this man who was governor of Hispaniola, as if he were a lackey. Monsieur de Cousset defended himself by urging the thing that Captain Blood had so admirably urged already on his behalf, that, if the terms he had made with the buccaneers were not confirmed, there was no harm done. Monsieur de Rivarol bullied and browbeat him into silence. Having exhausted abuse, the baron proceeded to indignities. Since he accounted that Monsieur de Cousset had proved himself unworthy of the post he held, Monsieur de Rivarol took over the responsibilities of the post for as long as he might remain in Hispaniola, and to give effect to this, he began by bringing soldiers from his ships, and setting his own guard in Monsieur de Cousset's castle. Out of this, trouble followed quickly. Wolverstone, coming ashore next morning in the picturesque garb that he affected, his head swathed in a coloured handkerchief, was jeered at by an officer of the newly landed French troops. 
not accustomed to derision, Wolverstone replied in kind and with interest. The officer passed to insult, and Wolverstone struck him a blow that felled him, and left him with only half of his poor senses. Within the hour the matter was reported to Monsieur de Rivarol, and before noon, by Monsieur de Rivarol's orders, Wolverstone was under arrest in the castle. The baron had just sat down to dinner with Monsieur de Cousset when the negro who waited on them announced Captain Blood. Peevishly, Monsieur de Rivarol bade him be admitted, and there entered now into his presence a spruce and modish gentleman, dressed with care and sombre richness in black and silver, his swarthy, clear-cut face scrupulously shaven, his long black hair in ringlets that fell to a collar of fine point. In his right hand the gentleman carried a broad black hat with a scarlet ostrich plume, in his left hand an ebony cane. His stockings were of silk, a bunch of ribbons massed his garters, and the black rosettes of his shoes were finely edged with gold. For a moment Monsieur de Rivarol did not recognize him, for blood looked younger by ten years than yesterday. But the vivid blue eyes under their level black brows were not to be forgotten, and they proclaimed him for the man announced even before he had spoken. His resurrected pride had demanded that he should put himself on an equality with the baron and advertise that equality by his exterior. "'I come inopportunely,' he courteously excused himself. "'My apologies. My business could not wait. It concerns Monsieur de Cousset, Captain Wolverstone of the La Chaisie, whom you have placed under arrest.' "'It was I who placed him under arrest,' said Monsieur de Rivarol. "'Indeed, but I thought that Monsieur de Cousset was governor of Hispaniola.' "'Whilst I am here, monsieur, I am the supreme authority. It is as well that you should understand it.' "'Perfectly. But it is not possible that you are aware of the mistake that has been made.' "'Mistake, do you say?' "'I say mistake.' On the whole, it is polite of me to use that word. Also, it is expedient. It will save discussions. Your people have arrested the wrong man, Monsieur de Rivarol. Instead of the French officer, who used the grossest provocation, they have arrested Captain Wolverstone. It is a matter which I beg you to reverse without delay. Monsieur de Rivarol's hawk face flamed scarlet. His dark eyes bulged. "'Sir, you, you are insolent, but of an insolence that is intolerable.' Normally a man of the utmost self-possession, he was so rudely shaken now that he actually stammered. "'Monsieur le Baron, you waste words. This is the new world. It is not merely new. It is novel to one reared amid the superstitions of the old. That novelty you have not yet had time, perhaps, to realize.' Therefore I overlook the offensive epithet you have used. But justice is justice in the new world as in the old, and injustice as intolerable here as there. Now justice demands the enlargement of my officer, and the arrest and punishment of yours. That justice I invite you with submission to administer. With submission? snorted the baron in furious scorn. With the utmost submission, monsieur— but, at the same time, I will remind Monsieur le Baron that my buccaneers number eight hundred, your troops five hundred, and Monsieur de Cousset 
will inform you of the interesting fact that any one buccaneer is equal in action to at least three soldiers of the line. I am perfectly frank with you, monsieur, to save time and hard words. Either Captain Wolverstone is instantly set at liberty, or we must take measures to set him at liberty ourselves. The consequences may be appalling. But it is as you please, monsieur le baron. You are the supreme authority. It is for you to say. Monsieur de Rivarol was white to the lips. In all his life he had never been so bearded and defied. But he controlled himself. You will do me the favour to wait in the ante-room, monsieur le capitaine. I desire a word with monsieur de Cousset. You shall presently be informed of my decision. When the door had closed, the baron loosed his fury upon the head of monsieur de Cousset. So these are the men you have enlisted in the king's service, the men who are to serve under me, men who do not serve but dictate, and this before the enterprise that has brought me from France is even under way. What explanations do you offer me, monsieur de Cousset? I warn you that I am not pleased with you. I am, in fact, as you may perceive, exceedingly angry. The governor seemed to shed his chubbiness. He drew himself stiffly erect. Your rank, monsieur, does not give you the right to rebuke me, nor do the facts. I have enlisted for you the men that you desired me to enlist. It is not my fault if you do not know how to handle them better. As Captain Blood has told you, this is the new world. So, so, Monsieur de Rivarol smiled malignantly. Not only do you offer no explanation, but you venture to put me in the wrong. Almost I admire your temerity. But there, he waved the matter aside. He was supremely sardonic. It is, you tell me, the new world, and new worlds, new manners, I suppose. In time I may conform my ideas to this new world, or I may conform this new world to my ideas. He was menacing on that. For the moment I must accept what I find. It remains for you, monsieur, who have experience of these savage byways, to advise me out of that experience how to act. Monsieur le baron, it was a folly to have arrested the buccaneer captain. It would be madness to persist. We have not the forces to meet force. In that case, monsieur, perhaps you will tell me what we are to do with regard to the future. Am I to submit at every turn to the dictates of this man blood? Is the enterprise upon which we are embarked to be conducted as he decrees? Am I, in short, the king's representative in America, to be at the mercy of these rascals? Oh, by no means. I am enrolling volunteers here in Hispaniola, and I am raising a corps of negroes. I compute that when this is done we shall have a force of a thousand men, the buccaneers apart. But in that case why not dispense with them? Because they will always remain the sharp edge of any weapon that we forge. In the class of warfare that lies before us, they are so skilled that what Captain Blood has just said is not an overstatement. A buccaneer is equal to three soldiers of the line. At the same time, we shall have a sufficient force to keep them in control. For the rest, monsieur, they have certain notions of honor. They will stand by their articles. And, so that we deal justly with them, they will deal justly with us, and give us no trouble. I have experience of them, and I pledge you my word for that. 
M. de Rivarol condescended to be mollified. It was necessary that he should save his face, and in a degree the governor afforded him the means to do so, as well as a certain guarantee for the future in the further force he was raising. "'Very well,' said he. "'Be so good as to recall this Captain Blood.' The captain came in, assured and very dignified. M. de Rivarol found him detestable, but, dis but dissembled it. Monsieur le Capitaine, I have taken counsel with Monsieur le Gouverneur. From what he tells me, it is possible that a mistake has been committed. Justice, you may be sure, shall be done. To ensure it, I shall preside myself over a council to be composed of two of my senior officers, yourself and an officer of yours. This council shall hold at once an impartial investigation into the affair, and the offender— the man guilty of having given provocation, shall be punished. Captain Blood bowed. It was not his wish to be extreme. Perfectly, Monsieur le Baron. And now, sir, you have had the night for reflection in this matter of the articles. Am I to understand that you confirm or that you repudiate them? Monsieur de Rivarol's eyes narrowed. His mind was full of what Monsieur de Cousset had said— that these buccaneers must prove the sharp edge of any weapon he might forge. He could not dispense with them. He perceived that he had blundered tactically in attempting to reduce the agreed share. Withdrawal from a position of that kind is ever fraught with loss of dignity. But there were those volunteers that M. de Cousset was enrolling to strengthen the hand of the king's general. Their presence might admit anon of the reopening of this question. Meanwhile he must retire in the best order possible. I have considered that too, he announced, and, whilst my opinion remains unaltered, I must confess that since Monsieur de Cousset has pledged us, it is for us to fulfil the pledges. The articles are confirmed, sir. Captain Blood bowed again. In vain Monsieur de Rivarol looked searchingly for the least trace of a smile of triumph on those firm lips. The buccaneer's face remained of the utmost gravity. Wolverstone was set at liberty that afternoon, and his assailant sentenced to two months' detention. Thus harmony was restored. But it had been an unpromising beginning, and there was more to follow shortly of a similar discordant kind. Blood and his officers were summoned a week later to a council, which sat to determine their operations against Spain. Monsieur de Rivarol laid before them a project for a raid upon the wealthy Spanish town of Cartagena. Captain Blood professed astonishment. Sourly invited by Monsieur de Rivarol to state his grounds for it, he did so with the utmost frankness. "'Were I general of the King's armies in America,' said he, "'I should have no doubt or hesitation as to the best way in which to serve my royal master and the French nation. That which I think will be obvious to Monsieur de Cousset, as it is to me, is that we should at once invade Spanish Hispaniola, and reduce the whole of this fruitful and splendid island into the possession of the King of France. "'That may follow,' said M. de Rivarol. "'It is my wish that we begin with Cartagena.' "'You mean, sir, that we are to sail across the Caribbean, on an adventurous expedition, neglecting that which lies here at our very door. In our absence, a Spanish invasion of French Hispaniola is possible.' If we begin by reducing the Spaniards here, that possibility will be removed. 
we shall have added to the crown of France the most coveted possession in the West Indies. The enterprise offers no particular difficulty. It may be speedily accomplished, and, once accomplished, it would be time to look farther afield. That would seem the logical order in which this campaign should proceed. He ceased, and there was silence. Monsieur de Rivarol sat back in his chair, the feathered end of a quill between his teeth. Presently he cleared his throat and asked a question. "'Is there anybody else who shares Captain Blood's opinion?' None answered him. His own officers were overawed by him. Blood's followers naturally preferred Cartagena, because offering the greater chance of loot. Loyalty to their leader kept them silent. "'You seem to be alone in your opinion,' said the baron with his vinegary smile. Captain Blood laughed outright. He had suddenly read the baron's mind. His airs and graces and haughtiness had so imposed upon Blood that it was only now that at last he saw through them, into the fellow's peddling spirit. Therefore he laughed. There was really nothing else to do. But his laughter was charged with more anger even than contempt. He had been deluding himself that he had done with piracy. The conviction that this French service was free of any taint of that was the only consideration that had induced him to accept it. Yet here was this haughty, supercilious gentleman, who dubbed himself General of the Armies of France, proposing a plundering, thieving raid which, when stripped of its mean, transparent mask of legitimate warfare, was revealed as piracy of the most flagrant. Monsieur de Rivarol, intrigued by his mirth, scowled upon him disapprovingly. "'Why do you laugh, monsieur?' "'Because I discover here an irony that is supremely droll. "'You, Monsieur le Baron, general of the King's armies by land and sea in America, "'propose an enterprise of a purely buccaneering character, "'whilst I, the buccaneer, am urging one that is more concerned with upholding the honour of France. "'You perceive how droll it is?' "'Monsieur de Rivarol perceived nothing of the kind. "'Monsieur de Rivarol, in fact, was extremely angry.' He bounded to his feet, and every man in the room rose with him, save only Monsieur de Cousset, who sat on with a grim smile on his lips. He, too, now read the Baron like an open book, and, reading him, despised him. "'Monsieur le filibustier,' cried Rivarol in a thick voice, "'it seems that I must again remind you that I am your superior officer.' "'My superior officer, you, lord of the world! Why, you are just a common pirate!' But you shall hear the truth for once, and that before all these gentlemen who have the honour to serve the King of France. It is for me, a buccaneer, a sea-robber, to stand here and tell you what is in the interest of French honour and the French crown, whilst you, the French King's appointed general, neglecting this, are for spending the King's resources against an outlying settlement of no account, shedding French blood and seizing a place that cannot be held, only because it has been reported to you that there is much gold in Cartagena, and that the plunder of it will enrich you. It is worthy of the huckster who sought to haggle with us about our share, and to beat us down after the articles pledging you were already signed. If I am wrong, let Monsieur de Cousset say so. If I am wrong, let me be proven wrong, and I will beg your pardon." Meanwhile, monsieur, I withdraw from this council. I will have no further part in your deliberations. I accepted the service of the King of France with intent to honour that service. 
I cannot honour that service by lending countenance to waste of life and resources in raids upon unimportant settlements with plunder for their only object. The responsibility for such decisions must rest with you and with you alone. I desire Monsieur de Cousset to report me to the ministers of France. For the rest, monsieur, it merely remains for you to give me your orders. I await them aboard my ship, and anything else of a personal nature that you may feel I have provoked by the terms I have felt compelled to use in this council. Monsieur le Baron, I have the honour to wish you good day. He stalked out, and his three captains, although they thought him mad, rolled after him in loyal silence. Monsieur de Rivarol was gasping like a landed fish. The stark truth had robbed him of speech. When he recovered, it was to thank heaven vigorously that the council was relieved by Captain Blood's own act of that gentleman's further participation in its deliberations. Inwardly, Monsieur de Rivarol burned with shame and rage. The mask had been plucked from him, and he had been held up to scorn. He, the general of the king's armies by sea and land in America— Nevertheless, it was to Cartagena that they sailed in the middle of March. Volunteers and negroes had brought up the forces directly under M. de Rivarol to twelve hundred men. With these, he thought he could keep the buccaneer contingent in order and submissive. They made up an imposing fleet, led by M. de Rivarol's flagship, the Victorieuse, a mighty vessel of eighty guns. Each of the four other French ships was at least as powerful as Blood's Arabella, which was of forty guns. Followed the lesser buccaneer vessels, the Elizabeth, La Chessie, and Atropos, and a dozen frigates laden with stores, besides canoes and small craft in tow. Narrowly they missed the Jamaica fleet with Colonel Bishop, which sailed north for Tortuga two days after the Baron de Rivarol's southward passage. End of chapter 26